Welcome to the Season 1 Commentary for One More Turn over at OneMoreTurn.net. I'm Daniel Quick, the creator and writer and voice actor for Hudson on this series, and I'm also joined by Scott Alpha Shard. Hello. Who voices... Um, uh, Carson. <laughs> uh, who did I voice? Also, Michael Ubermarklar. Who voiced Caleb. And uh, Christopher Blauerfackle, writer. Hey, I'm Gary. Remember me? <laughs> Dark Cloud. This is Max, from Max's Laser Hair Removal. And he also served as uh, assistant editor. And speaking of editors, Andrew Fuzzy Fractal 42. Hello. Who uh, voiced absolutely nobody, not even himself. Oh. Did you not hear me? No, we don't hear you. We're just making fun of you. Oh, That's all. Okay, carry on then. <laughs> that fuzzy guy, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> So we're recording this on the uh, 28th of July. Hello. Welcome. Hey, Annalie. Also joined by Annalie Cartamandua Barney, who voiced Bella. Before we get to the general questions or specific episode discussions, everyone had a chance to listen to some or all of the 13 episodes from season one, the final version with the sound effects, music, everything? Yeah. 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 All but the, like, the last one. I only listened to the first one. Sorry. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, Scott listened to the first one 49 times. That's why that one has about uh, 50 more views than anything else. <laughs> <laughs> so you listened to all 13, DC, or just some, or none? Oh, I listened to them all. Ten questions. Eight were about the series, and the two just about the episodes in particular. How did you get involved with One More Turn? You know what? I'm going to start with Scott, since he seems so enthused. <laughs> well, I got involved because I know Dan. I've been on Polycast, and we did Turncast, and he decided that he wanted to do a special project, and I said, sure, I'd be interested, and uh, I like doing the voice acting. That was fun. It was a new experience. So, uh, yeah, I thought it would uh, be something nice to try out and see where it goes. <laughs> and where did it go? Um, well, we made a, a season, and now we got second season going, and that'll be cool. And, uh, yeah, I did enjoy the story. It was interesting, and I'm interested to see what happened next season. And you know what? So am I. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Not really? I know, right? Since Scott mentioned season two already, jeepers, spoilers, gosh. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm decidedly at the halfway point. I'm about halfway through the seventh episode, so we've got 13 more episodes and, and six are set, which is actually a good thing because there's one question that if people were answering now and I'd already written the season, it was kind of null and void. That's a great sign. Part of the reason why I did not finish season two writing yet so that this commentary could actually have an impact on what season two may or may not sound like possibly, mm. perhaps. One of us will be killed off because we're asking for a raise. <laughs> a 100% raise. Damn straight. I'll be the season yeah. two hit I was pushing for 250, but my agent said just go for the 100. And of course, it would be Uber that said that, seeing as how you joked in the chat about when Blauer was initially thinking he wasn't going to be able to be here, and then mm-hmm. he was added back, and then <laughs> Uber's like, yay, you know, Gary doesn't get killed off in between seasons now. Whoa. That's all that we know of. Well, <laughs> well, I was gonna say, let's be honest. Well, it's if anybody old. in the it's cast was going back. to get killed off first, it's probably gonna be him. <laughs> yeah. Alright, now I've gotta ask, Chris, why do you say that? Uh because in my opinion, he may not have been like the major antagonist behind it all, but he was pretty much the heel of the season, I thought. So between that and the fact that he didn't see some of the stuff coming kind of makes him, I don't know, primary target material in my opinion. <laughs> Speaking of target material, how did you become involved in this series? Sure. Well, I remember going away. You put the casting call out there. Once you decided, hey, this is really going to be a thing. I'm going to make this happen. And I decided that, uh, you know, I have come to really like working with Polycast, Turncast family and just decided, hey, this is just going to be a twist on something I already know is a lot of fun, you know, and it turns out I was right. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. That's the thing, because as we're kind of getting at, the pay is zero. Right. For the show. Although maybe pain. I guess we all get paid in pain. 
You know what? If I'm going to ask people to answer this question, I should answer this question. How did you get involved with One More Turn, Dan? Um, well, we should ask you how you conceived with the idea initially of One More Turn. Well, uh, I started One More Turn as an extension of a creative writing interest that I've always had. I distinctly remember from grade two on more than one occasion, my teacher telling me it was time to put the creative writing away and take out the math. Ugh. Oh, man. <laughs> And there's actually a school newspaper in uh, elementary school. You see kids, there are these things called newspapers now. (laughs) And there was a call to submit stories. And one of my stories made it, even though it was was an assignment for a class. And then it was well-received enough by my classmates, as well as the teachers, that I wrote another one. And DC will know what I'm talking about here. I last wrote anything and voice acted in anything with uh, the Age of Nations machinima that uh, DC was also involved in. We both wrote on that. We both voice acted. And uh, quite frankly, I wanted to voice act again. And I thought, if I'm going to voice act again, then I guess I got to write something. Mm -hmm. It was intended to be, and still intended to be, in addition to that creative outlet, something that I hope other people can relate to and enjoy. I wanted it to be equal mix humor and drama, hence the term dramedy. (laughs) So, Andrew... You did not voice any characters in this season, so some people might be wondering, well, how in the heck did you get involved then? Uh, well, uh, I believe uh, at some point when we were doing a turn cast together that you mentioned that you had a, a new mysterious project that you would not reveal at this time. And I was intrigued by that, and I think probably sometime the following week or thereabouts, you uh, came forward with this idea for a show fictional show loosely based around turn-based gaming and such like that and uh i decided it would agree to uh take a look at the script for you and uh i guess that's how i've been involved in the one more turn project i would say you were most helpful with regards to the plot line because for my initial draft compare that to the final version the characters are very similar in terms of their personalities and their thinking and their actions but trying to tie the pieces together including some of the legal stuff the legal plot lines you help make it a bit more coherent and logical because tension being that this is happening in the near future it's not fantasy you know want it to be relatable and it was also at that point that uh, i contacted dc you're actually the last to become involved in this project after it had gotten underway and i'd pretty well set the voice actors as well to come in and, and give us some help with uh, writing but uh, you also uh, chose to voice a character as well Well, thank you. Yes, uh, you contacted me on Monday, January 20th, 2014 at uh, midnight and uh, 28 minutes past. (laughs) Just making that up. Just a timeline for all people. (laughs) No, 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 he's not making that up. It was a Skype instant message, so he's gone. Oh, okay. (laughs) I have records. Oh, I shouldn't be surprised. Working with Remember, here, kids, so, yeah. nothing online is safe. <laughs> They're watching you. Hmm. Interesting that you should say those exact words. <laughs> In the context of One More Turn. Uh, who will I go to next? Uh, Uber. What? How did you get involved in One More Turn? I had a real bad gambling debt, and you offered to pay it off. But... <laughs> <laughs> so your character's true to life? Who knew? Wow, I did not know that. No, actually, like the character, eh, maybe true, somewhat, but not really. But you mentioned it during Turncast. I thought, well, this sounds interesting. I see that helping out, and so here I am. And Annalie, how did you get involved in One More Turn? Because you were not part of that Turncast recording that so many people that ended up being involved in the show found out about this. Yeah, yeah. I'm only partly existing online, but I was actually begged to audition. You know, most people are under the perception <laughs> that there's only one woman on the internet. And it is Matthew. Whoa, whoa, whoa. There's not? Oh, my God. <laughs> to be fair, there are three of us. And, <laughs> and I'm one of them. And uh, as there were three women parts in this production, it was out of desperation that Dan came to me um, because his... Um, falsetto is not that good. <laughs> for this, we thank you forever. <laughs> no, so it was really good, actually. It was it was fun. It's always nice to come back and get back to it. Uh, years ago, I was part of Polycast, and that was always a blast. And, and now my job makes it so that I'm, I'm not usually available on the weekends. I thought you were going to say that Mackie begged you to audition. <laughs> 
You know, I think sometimes she feels lonely, feeling mm-hmm. like she's the only woman on the internet, yeah. I'm just stunned Dan somehow knows the only three. I, I don't know how that happened. <laughs> it's kind of smooth, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you'll have to ask him about that offline. Mm. Out there. <laughs> oh, <okay>. Just kidding. We're <laughs> tabloid fodder for next season. characters auditioning for and why i'll start i wanted to play a character who is anything but me and how he thinks and how he acts and that was hudson but i also recognized that there might be somebody who i asked to audition who would do a better hudson so i also auditioned for carson thought if i have to voice a character that is like me then it's not going to be as difficult maybe not as fun but not as difficult it's an odd question for me because I think I might be the only one who didn't actually actively audition for a particular character. <laughs> um, I just put my name in the hat and you actually, I think, did a, a pretty good job as far as fitting me in for a character that I personally had a lot of fun with. You know, as I said before, I, I think he's a big heel character, which is, you know, out of character for me. I, I had a lot of fun with it and uh, I hope that I'm not the only one who enjoyed the portrayal of it. Yeah, well, we'll see. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely enjoyed the portrayal of it. Otherwise, I wouldn't have used it and just got a replacement (laughs) you'll do you'll do (laughs) (laughs) oh i agree i think you did a pretty good gary uh so when i read the script i figured there was only about two characters who i might be able to do a passable job at and one of them i was thinking about gary and then i just sort of realized i have a goofy voice so i figured that i should only try out for max who's one of the two comic reliefs so so that's why you have uh max with his uh malapropisms I would say when it came to improving lines, I think everybody on the call will agree, and you can just nod along with us, Andrew, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on that call. Yeah, that you had the best improvisations oh, yeah. for lines and 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 reads and interpretations to give Max uh, a little added character. <laughs> I remember when he decided he started to butcher all the acronyms, and we all just lost it for about a minute and a half after he. Oh, the M I D I file. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That was great. It was just, yeah. just nonstop. Oh my god, I could not stop laughing. It was funny <laughs> because when I was reading the script, I definitely was reading Max's kind of folksy yet kind of like nebbishy kind of high-strung sort of guy, and I think Dark Cloud really captured what I was hearing in my head when I was reading that that character. Yeah, most definitely. Oh, thank you. I uh, read Carson, and I liked his personality. I thought he was, you know, kind of snarky, but also, I don't know, just someone that's uh, trying to figure out how to do things, and uh, just, I like the uh, captain's uh, log thing that he did. I thought I figured that would be fun. <laughs> Pretty well the only notable monologue in the entire season. <laughs> I, I liked also that he felt uh, put upon. Felt just like, just crap just keeps uh, happening and he has to deal with, and it always just seems like, he, he feels like he's cleaning up other people's messes. I think that's a fair assessment. I I wanted Carson to be a sympathetic character, not only yeah. more sympathetic to other people in the story than himself. He's not really very sympathetic to himself. And for the audience, just like whenever you think of Carson, you think, oh, a poor guy. Yeah, I feel like I can relate to him. Well, when Dan invited me to audition, he said, well, maybe you pick a character that you're not really like. And I'm thinking, hmm, who does Jen think I'm like? And um, <laughs> so I'm not sure, but I felt real, you know, sisterhood with Bella. No, um, I actually, <laughs> no, I, I actually read for all the women parts. But honestly, when I read through the script, I read Riley's parts in Mackie's voice because I know Mackie well enough that I felt like it was for her. And I don't know if Dan was writing that like that. But to me, it was some of the same things that Mackie said came through in Riley. And so that was an automatic for me. And I just hope Mackie uh, said yes to that. But not knowing for sure, I read for her lines and, you know, that's fine. And Nora was fine. I don't know if I, you know, whatever. But Bella was fun. And I kind of had fun with Bella because she's a bit of a witch. And um, Another word that rhymes with that? Yeah, right. yeah. So I guess I was the only one who auditioned for a part I didn't get. Because <laughs> my audition was for Hudson because I thought he was a cool character. And I liked the idea of being sort of sneakily evil and whatnot. And so upon further reading it after I was assigned the part of Caleb, I went, yeah, Dan pretty much wrote this for me. <laughs> yeah. If I was to describe Caleb in one word, it would be sarcastic. I don't know why you'd connect that with me at all. I mean, it just doesn't seem like me. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> but I will say, as the season evolved, even though Caleb is sarcastic, I wanted to write him as a sarcastic character on the surface, but also a rather intelligent character and someone that people could underestimate. And in the cases of some characters, not mentioning any character names, uh, at their peril to think that Caleb was uh, simple. Well, a so man-child, if you will. Right. <laughs> here's the thing, though, is I didn't necessarily peg Caleb as sarcastic so much as just quick to jump on a joke, particularly an obvious joke you know sometimes that came off as sarcasm other times it was just like the really you went for that <laughs> and uh lack of filter yeah i think it's another way to uh put it he's, he says what everybody's thinking but oh probably shouldn't say that in polite company whether or not there are women around whether or not there might be customers that could overhear does not matter he just goes and says what it is that he's thinking but to be honest he's got like three customers so what does it really matter well i think that might be why he only has three customers <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Dan never did give us a population figure for this poor town, so there may only be like three people. <laughs> and only two computers. Yeah. And one of his maxes, so it doesn't really count. Right. He's got so much like uh, spyware and spam on there. Well, actually, speaking of Max's laser hair removal, the only reason he ends up being a client at One More Turn Solutions is because of a wrong number. So there really wasn't any business plan <laughs> surrounding that customer acquisition at all. Which also seems to fit Max quite well. He comes off, in my opinion, at least across the script, as not having much of a plan for anything. <laughs> yeah, Max is carefree, happy lucky going, uh, which is really not anything that I am. Well, that's the plan. It's the uh, low-stress business plan. Yeah, well, yeah, that's what he says. It's, you know, I only take, was it three or four customers an hour, and I won't up that, up that because it will potentially cut into time. No, that's mm-hmm. why he'll never get up to four customers an yeah. hour. <laughs> because his time limit, and that's all he's going to work with. He wants to do a decent job. Jokes, he doesn't want to burn something off that customers would rather keep. Even though he doesn't come across as serious, he takes his job very seriously. I remember there's the one line about, you know, what does this have to do with the price of ink dye in North America? It just, and also his breaking the fourth wall as well. Yeah, Max and Nora do that a lot. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and Nora was initially resistant to that, but, you know, resistance is futile. <laughs> Star Trek reverence, obviously. By the end of the season, she and Max are pretty well on the same wavelength when it comes to those things. Ironically, the tertiary characters turn out to be the most genre-savvy. My first reaction upon reading a sample of the season one scripts was, why is this called One More Turn? Yeah. Right. Enough so that I make that joke in one of the season one scripts. Yeah. Really. To poke fun at, why is the business called One More Turn Solutions? And mm-hmm. You know, the whole One More Turn title, uh, maybe I'm reading too much into it, was kind of for you, since you already have the audience from Polycast, that's kind of a way to hook your audience in to this new story, which, yes, some of it is about the turn-based strategy stuff, but some of it is about the non-geeky problems in life. He also may or may not have had the domain name registered. <laughs> <laughs> well... Is addressed, yeah. Mm. And to extend on Andrew's point, in addition to hooking into the audience, I also wanted one more turn to outside of the geeky aspect. One more turn being kind of like one more day, oh. one more, one more problem, one more this. That there's always one more something. As soon as you've addressed this, then there's something else to deal with. So that was also a, another reason behind the title. I don't know if that was too deep or no, uh, but it's really good. I like a that. lot of insight to hear that. I would not have thought of it that way. It is a little deep. I, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if your audience can handle it, but it's okay. Angel is can't a handle the truth. Do we need to get those floaters and attach them to the arms so you don't sink? <laughs> Yay! <laughs> what was everyone's first reaction when you read the sample? Because for people who don't know, I didn't send everybody the full scripts when they said that they were interested in learning more. I sent them a sample. I believe it was three full scripts plus excerpts from a couple of other ones to give people an idea if they wanted to read more. And I did that because if I thought I sent the entire document from the outset, 54 pages in length, including title page, that it might be, you know, too long, didn't read. (laughs) Each one of the episodes that you got in full introduced one of the eight characters in some way. And then I included little snippets here and there to kind of add to it. You know, I honestly really wasn't even sure what to make of it. I I just had to really, uh, honestly, I was going on faith that just the people I was working with were going to make it, see it through and make it worthwhile. And uh, I mean, I was right, but honestly, it really wasn't until I saw the final script and saw that cast list and finally could like start to hear how it would sound in my head. Even before we recorded, I mean, that uh, I had a grasp on what exactly you were trying to do with this. (laughs) 
when you know the people, because everyone on the call here knows to some degree everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So even just your first reaction to the scripts in general, before we recorded it, I know some people got wondering how it was all going to come together and sound. We're just reading through it, and yeah, it was interesting how it all came together. The story of just phone call to Max, and then Riley calling the tech support, and never really understood why she was calling him in the first place, but no oh well. <laughs> when I finally had like that final script in my hand and could read it, my first impression was, Dan wrote this. <laughs> I mean, your sense of humor is all over that thing. <laughs> well, you write what you know. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, like the puns and sci-fi references, those are all you. And I am certain that... Anybody who listens to the whole season and is a regular listener of, like, the Turncast recordings, they won't be surprised by the sense of humor at all. (laughs) Well, I love the name, but was initially hoping for somebody who had to attend Sivanon or, like, because he was a Civ addict. I don't know if you remember those old commercials for... I do, yes. Which are, like, my favorite. But that's okay. After I got past that, um, I actually... (laughs) I agree. I recognized a lot of Mackie and Dan. I was like, oh, these are just all my friends. So I had to be involved when reading it. When I first read the sample scripts, I guess, to be honest, my initial impression was that they were a little dry, but that I saw that there was more potential and that there was kind of more going on than met the eyes. And I didn't want to judge it too quickly from those because there was... A lot of character stuff, but a lot of the plot was sort of missing for me in terms of the what and why. And then reading the first few drafts of the full scripts and the final copy of the full script, I guess, I still felt a lot of confusion about the characters' motivations. But I think some of that was just from physically reading a script, which I've never really done in this context before, versus hearing it and finally hearing the recordings. I think, for the most part, most of my questions about the characters' motivations and inner workings are are solved. There's still a few things where I'm like, why did this person do this? Why did they act this way? You know, but I think for the most part, yeah, initially there was some confusion for me. Well, that's fair enough, because even I was confusing myself at times trying to have it so all the pieces fit together. Right. Most of the episodes were written more or less one after the other, although the first five I wrote months before the others, and even though I went back over them after the fact, it's one of those things where you're reading something, like an essay that you've written, and it's in your head, the connections, and you think it's written, but it's not actually written. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that I didn't want to say, here are the scripts, let's go ahead and record. I wanted at least one, if not more people. And it's not just Andrew and Dark Cloud that contributed to the writing. They did the most, certainly. But there were times, particularly when people were reading their characters, I remember... Not the specifics, but I remember Scott and Uber and I think Blauer as well once or twice said, how come my character that I'm voicing says this or does this? Or isn't there a word missing here? Or don't you actually mean, shouldn't the word not be in front of that? Because this completely changes the, oh crap, yeah, shoot, you know, that's in my head that's there. And I read it when I read it because my brain's filling it in, but it's not actually on the screen. So I'm glad to hear from you in particular, Andrew, that the episodes answered a lot of your questions. Although, of course, if they answered all of your questions, then why would you bother to listen to season two? Exactly. (laughs) I mean, really. (laughs) And I think part of it is a lot of modern script writing movies and TV shows, characters' intentions, their inner thoughts kind of get telegraphed in a way that, you know, I know that you were trying to avoid that. Don't tell the audience what the character is thinking. Make the audience guess what the character is thinking, which is, you know, a style. These days, when you turn on the TV, you don't see as much of that as you're more into sort of classic literature and things like that. So once I got in that mindset with it, like, okay, Andrew, you're not going to know everything. You're not going to understand everything. Just go through and experience what's going on with the characters and try to turn off that analytical part of your brain that's kind of yelling at you right now and just get through it and (laughs) things will become more clear. I think it's a matter of you're trying to show and not tell, especially since there's not like one narrator. It's not one character driving every single episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dan could have easily done it so that, like when Scott, his character, does the captain's log thing in that one episode, Dan could have done that throughout the whole series and told us at every step of the way what Carson 
right, Carson? Yep, Carson. Was thinking the whole time. But that would have taken away from the suspense the audience would have felt about what is Carson going to do next? How is he going to react? What is his thought process going through these experiences? Like Kevin from The Wonder Years? Right, yeah, you could you could have done it that way, and I think it would have worked. Wow, way to gate the audience. <laughs> I was about to say, you see, kids, there was this show. <laughs> yeah, but I think that that process, it would have been a lot drier, because to me, this is like a radio play, and to, to have a narrator that knows everything and is getting into people's thoughts that way, it just that's not how it should flow. At least that's how I think. Mm-hmm. It wasn't necessary, I would say, to do it that way. I'm mm-hmm. glad that Dan didn't do it that way. It would have driven me bonkers why is, to do that. Why is that? I don't think people are likely to get as emotionally invested in the characters if they know everything up front because it's not real. I'm trying to make it relatable as possible to real life. And the people that you know in your real life, you are not going to know what they are thinking all of the time, with perfect accuracy, everything, in the moment that they're thinking it. So I wanted people to be able to, at some point, say, I think I've got this character figured out. Everything seems to indicate we're going down this path. And in a couple of cases, there's that moment later on when you're like, oh, now that I know that this is not the path they're going down, if I revisit everything they did, I look at it from a different angle, like inside looking out, now it starts to make sense. I didn't want it to be jarring, but I also wanted people to feel like they haven't got the characters figured out in the first couple of episodes, so that every episode after that is kind of a reset button on what characters are thinking and doing. Mm. So to that end, if people decided, hmm, this podcast has been going for a while, let's start with episode seven. Who does that? Well, there are some crazy people out there, Scott. You just don't know. (laughs) (laughs) They eat their pizza backwards. (laughs) So who is your favorite character in the series and why? I'm going to start with Anne Lee on this one. That's a hard one. I actually adore Max and Nora, especially Max. Once he got his personality put into him and once I heard him come to life, I just, I loved Max. I laughed like every time he spoke. To be fair, Bella has some tremendously awesome lines. Her insults are pretty on par and those are pretty fun to read. I liked Riley a great deal. Riley's lines were delivered with extreme aplomb and extreme, uh, well, however they were delivered led to extreme hilarity. I found myself laughing quite often, and I thought she was very well written. Sometimes she was a good uh, straight man, and sometimes she was a great sarcastic trouble causer. (laughs) The other character that I really enjoyed was Carson. Carson's voice and his tiredness, his expression of lethargy towards life, and his, <laughs> his eorainity was uh, quite a good distraction and sort of balancing factor. Even though what he was saying often wasn't supposed to be funny, it was often quite hilarious. So he's Lieutenant Commander Data with the emotion chip? Oh, jeez. <laughs> Man, you're really going to get like... Except you know, less tears. Less tears. <laughs> oh it's so hard to choose you know i like what dark cloud said carson being sort of anhedonic sort of being bombarded by all these life problems and his reactions to them yeah oftentimes unintentionally funny and then you know uber's performance is caleb just throwing on the sarcasm and just flipping pretty much anything that's said to him on his side is always really enjoyable. And then Max, as a minor character, it's nice to have sort of a mischievous minor character to sort of give the audience some relief from the serious moments. I'll go with uh, Caleb because of his snarkiness, and uh, he was a good foil to uh, Carson. And I really liked the brotherly relationship between the two and their jokes well, I'm not going to say myself because that would just be stupid and wrong and it's ridicule. <laughs> so my favorite character was actually Pedro. Um, <laughs> the unsung hero. Pedro. He was the greatest thing ever. But uh, in actuality, I think my favorite characters were definitely Max and Nora. It was just incre- played incredibly well, brought to life. They were the, sort of the funniest aspects of the show and sort of loved how it all came together with those two. Well, on the brotherly part between Carson and Caleb, I don't have a brother myself. Neither do I. I'm an only child. But uh, I have five cousins. I really don't know the two 
older cousins. And the three younger ones, I tried to draw on times where I interacted with them in the past, both when we were children and as adults, and then tried to put that in the setting of what if I was their brother? That sibling relationship and that rivalry they're a part of you. They're the most likely to stick with you when times get tough, even if they are the reason that the times are tough. <laughs> They're also the most likely to call you out on your bullshit. Mm -hmm. That's true. And to be able to get away with it right. for the sibling to actually stop and think there might actually be some credibility, some value, some truth to what it is that you're saying. The Max and Nora thing are my textbook opposites attract <laughs> couple. I would most like to be a friend of that couple because you would be able to enjoy their humor and how they played off of each other. And you'd be able to laugh with them and even at them without them necessarily realizing it. And even if they did, they wouldn't take offense because they can see why I think what they say and, and do is funny. My favorite character is also Carson, though, because I think while I'm arguably more like Caleb personality wise, it is in the thinking and action that I'm more like Carson. He's that nice guy who finishes last underdog that you want to catch a break and, you know, hopes he give himself a break in the process. So no one's going to say that Bellow is their favorite character? No. Okay. I'm a little bit offended by that. Just a little. <laughs> Don't feel too bad. Well, uh, I might have said it, but we're exes, so I just couldn't have. So. <laughs> <laughs> Caleb could not say that Bella was his favorite character. I just wouldn't have. And neither could Carson, for that matter. Mm. Well, by the end of the season, she'd kind of burnt every bridge with every character. <laughs> yeah, there's only I two guys in the show the she hadn't again. apparently slept with. And well, I will say this. Bella delivered some excellent, snarky, sarcastic, slinky, slanky language when she came <laughs> in. Well, yeah, the Bella-Caleb thing, you could see perfectly why those two both worked really well as a couple and then worked really badly as a couple. Because they both have that same sort of, where Caleb is slightly more jovial. It's the same kind of sarcasm where you can actually do what Bella does and turn it into a right gut punch right into you. Oh, yes, yes. When she came on, there was just this sense of doom that sort of enveloped yes. the uh, so, other recording. Dan, do cloud? confirm or deny the fact that she's named Bella strictly for the crew Bella line? No. Okay. <laughs> no, she was named before I wrote that line. All the names of the characters, I went and looked up the most popular baby names, boy and girl, in the United States in 2012. Oh. As long as it was in the top 10. <laughs> top 10 lists. Oh, you guys, know so she's named after Twilight. You mean, you mean oh, yes. Aiden? So you're investing for the future for this series? <laughs> I want to know <laughs> who these people are that are naming their kid Gary. There is a person who named their kid <laughs> Subaru. Oh, well, you know. Yeah, this, this, <laughs> Subaru means love, right? I liked Caleb quite a lot. I, I, I liked my own quite a lot. But that's kind of a lame answer, but Riley was by far my favorite. While I said that the script was your humor, I think you did a good job of capturing a voice that Mackie could very, very much deliver on. And uh, I liked the, having the opportunity for Gary and Riley to have that snark back and forth in a couple of episodes. Like Riley telling you, I, I like to return your hideous toupee to the backside from which it came, but we can't always have what we want. Right, right. <laughs> Bella was nobody's favorite character, Gary was nobody's favorite character, and Hudson was nobody's favorite character, and that does not surprise me. That doesn't necessarily mean they're your least favorite characters, although I wouldn't be surprised if at least one of them is. I will actually start with that, and the least favorite character uh, in this series is the one that I voice. The reason that I say least favorite, not the least interesting, is... Yeah, Bella is deceptive and untrustworthy, but Hudson is someone who allies himself in just the most opportunistic, self-centered fashion, where he gets closer to those that he most wants to manipulate. Like, keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. He finds his enemies, even though he's often making enemies. They're not enemies yet. He thinks, how can I make the world a better place for me? And how can I make more enemies? How can I burn somebody more than they could ever possibly burn me? He wants to take advantage of people and those who dare get close to him, whether or not he reciprocates, those who put themselves in his orbit are worse off, I think, to the point where little to nothing that they can do to fix what they've done. <laughs> at the very best, you're going to be able to start over. And in some cases, you're not going to be able to recover. Hudson just slash and burns and he does not care. In fact, he prides himself on how much of a colossal dick he really is. <laughs> you mind if I uh, answer next? I'm right with you. Hudson is my least favorite as well. A little bit different reasons, though. I, I oh, really? felt that he, at his core, has this like deep, wheedling insecurity 
that just touches on everything that he does, which as a personality trait just really gets under my skin normally. And then he has that monologue, well, damn near a monologue anyway, near the end where he's bragging about how smart he is and what he's done and having his little moment of smug. And all I could think of was the evil overlord list where don't you just kick him into the <laughs> damn pit and leave it at that? <laughs> When he jumps on the horn and uh, he's bragging, he's having his moment of smug and he over-reveals himself. Oh, to Caleb. Right. And all I could think of that entire time is, dude, why are you just not shutting up and rolling around in your money pile? (laughs) (laughs) Ah, yes, the observation that when he gets too smug, he overshares. Right. That's true. And Hudson is really the only one that doesn't seem to get it because all the other characters recognize it. Mm Mm-hmm. Even if it has to be pointed out by somebody, as soon as somebody says it, they're like, oh, yeah, you're right. That is him. And, that, and that's what kind of what I mean as well, is I think all the characters, at least in the script, seem to pick up pretty quickly that he is insecure at heart. Even before he had his little heel turn at the end there, that he was always asking, were you talking about me? Were they talking about me? And it's, you know, yeah, those he is. I, I remember that. Very paranoid. For anybody else, was he their least favorite character as well? No, I'd have to say that probably Bella, basically the main antagonist for me it was always emotional for me uh hearing her maliciousness for me that makes her my least favorite character i would say yeah she certainly does a number on caleb or at least tries to (laughs) i mean she already had that wedge between carson and caleb when first she was dating carson and then caleb and even though she's not dating either of them anymore she tries to go right back into trying to break destroy that relationship between the brothers and to me when i'm writing it she's jealous of that and she sees oh if i can't be with carson or caleb then nobody's going to be with them in any way and that includes them they work together they are very much part of their lives and so she's doing anything and everything she can to me to try to disrupt that relationship she does talk about the 10 short steps to bring down the brother's dork once and for all. It's like the reason she lives and breathes at this point in time, <laughs> which is just, my gosh, at some point, you just got to let it go because the only person you're hurting is yourself. Well, here's the thing. And how I got to read on that was she might have been the one to voice it, but I got the sense that that was something that she picked up from dear old dad. <laughs> oh, the apple does not fall far from the tree there. Yeah, yeah, I got the sense that he had that very same, not only am I vindictive, but I'm going to really plan this out. Well, I think Bella knows her strengths. She knows what she's good at. She's played her hand and she knows how to roll it. She knows that she can toy with those emotions and there's kind of a power thing with that. And I don't know if you gentlemen have ever been in a situation like that, but it was a favorite game of girls in college where you can have that toy over a man's emotions and you can kind of manipulate and play with it and it's just power. Whatever your end motive is, playing with those emotions is half the fun. You might not even have a motive in the end other than to manipulate a person and just see if you can. I know girls who that's kind of their thing. They're like, okay, just messing to mess. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, her command of her emotions. If I was going to put all of the characters on a spectrum of being able to do that, Bella would be at one end and Carson would be at the other. Yeah. Well, Mm. that makes him especially intriguing to her, I think. She can kind of see what she can do with him. I mean, by the end of season one, so if you're listening to this commentary and you haven't listened to all the episodes yet, what the hell? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) She goes back to Hudson, and we find out that before this series ever started, even before the Carson and the Caleb relationship, she was in a relationship, and you could almost imply relationships. So this could even be at least the third relationship she's been in with Hudson. And she's been in this relationship. All those relationships combined are greater than any other time she's been with anybody else. And so I think being with Carson for Bella was the most extreme opposites relationship that she was ever in. And she did not know how to handle it. And quite frankly, neither did Carson. Sounds pretty fair. Never a point in the series when I actually liked Hudson. He came off pretty much like a jerk from the get-go for me. I actually wanted him to be more evil, so. I didn't really like him because I thought he was being obnoxious the first time when he's like, are you talking about me? And when people are like that, that's like a red flag for me to not trust them (laughs) when they're that obnoxious, badgering someone on a phone that has nothing to do with them. So I was like, right away, I didn't like uh, Hudson. I didn't trust him. Yeah, same reason. He was too controlling, too controlling. Yes, I think I didn't like Hudson at first either, 
But I think later on, you kind of have an oh moment where you're like, oh, this guy, he's not just like an asshole, he's a bad person. I mean, I see a little bit of a distinction there. It's more than just kind of surface Mm -hmm. dickery. He has an agenda and he's manipulating people and he's controlling the timing in which he is letting people know certain things, let people in on certain things. And I, I think the call to Caleb, including where when we see how protective Caleb is of his brother, essentially Caleb is willing to listen to the crap. Yeah, and as I'm writing it and I'm thinking, man, if I was Caleb, like hang up. And okay, in fairness, Caleb did hang up and then right away the call is back. And I'm thinking, you know it's Hudson calling back to continue his point. Caleb picks up the phone, lets Hudson go on and on and on and on and on. Says a little bit, Hudson smacks it down, he talks some more, and then the second he starts making reference to a Carson's drinking, that's the end of it. He's done. You can insult Caleb to Caleb's face, you can pretty well insult anybody, but other than perhaps his mother, but certainly... Yeah, you never make fun of a guy's mom. <laughs> Caleb is more likely to stop someone from making fun of Carson to his face. Like, if you're having a conversation with Caleb, you start making fun of Carson, he's going to stop you before Carson would stop having you make fun of Caleb. Yeah, Carson was the big target that he went after, but Hudson also sort of can see it earlier on in the conversation where he makes a jab about Riley, and you can also see that sort of, you can tell that Caleb's starting to realize that Hudson's starting to go after anyone that he's currently allied with, including his own family, and it's just sort of, eventually it's snap. We should be lucky he didn't wind up going after Hudson, too, otherwise (laughs) there might have been two lawsuits for damage to property. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you think about it, everybody in this show, by the end of the season, there is someone that we can say that they are with, to some degree, that there is someone we can say they have a strong relationship to X, whether it be boyfriend, girlfriend, father, brother, or partner in crime, if we're going to talk about frickin' Bella and Hudson here, and, and also a couple, once again. Actually, I, I, Gary might be the odd man out on that one, uh, well, because of the, the one too. person... Mm, I don't know, I mean, wasn't it implied that uh, she was hooking up with somebody? Well, Max vaguely implied that Caleb and Riley were kissing with their eyes. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, Dan does a nice job of actually leads into the, you know, what do you have as a takeaway from season one? It is that Dan seriously likes cliffhangers. <laughs> <laughs> so he just leaves a nice bunch of stuff just up in the air. Ta-da! Next season. Gary was working with Riley, but he was such an asshole to her throughout the season. I doubt that, that would be sustainable. And obviously, by the end, he comes to realize that his daughter had played him pretty hard, and he kind of admired it, mostly was pissed. So all of his co-conspirators and whatnot, he's alone at the end of the season, I think. I think he does have a bit of an advocate at the end in terms of Riley when Carson is saying, like, why are you telling me this, Gary? Why do you think I'd want to hear anything from you, Because even if it's good news? And Riley says, I was hoping and am hoping that you and Caleb will forgive him, as I think you've forgiven me, that she sees herself as needing forgiveness for her part and what she was initially going to do to Caleb and Carson and one more turn solutions, and then tries to then see, man, Gary is also a need of forgiveness here because he's seen the light. He realizes that he's made a mistake. He's trying to make amends and she tries to help pave that path, which in a way gives them a relationship, if nothing more than we're kind of in the same camp together of trying to make amends. But I would agree that it's not a clear relationship and I don't think it's one that either of them would say that they are in a relationship or they feel connected Mm -hmm. other than that they I don't know if Gary so much as Riley does, but they see themselves in the other person because they now realize I was playing for the wrong side. Well, in Gary's case, he knows that with what just been done to Carson and Caleb, immediately there's a risk that it'll be done to him Mm -hmm. and he'll end up losing everything. So essentially, this is the only hand he's got left. Right. In fact, I mean, he, well, he does say at the very end, you know, maybe this time silence is golden, which sort of shot down by Carson and Caleb saying, nope, we can figure this out. What is your least favorite episode from season one and why? And it may or may not be from the script. Hmm. Like it could be the actual, how the episode sounds itself. Um, second to last episode, I think, uh, 112. I thought that it spent much more time uh, rolling around with, with the end jokes and it, it didn't really move the story forward all that much. Uh, I, I think that 
longtime polycast, especially turncast listeners, could get a kick out of it. But if you're not already familiar and knowing what to expect when it comes to these kind of references and jokes, that uh, it might leave you a little bit confused as to the sudden shift in tone. Hmm. For my answer for least favorite episode, and I'm going to jump in given that you've said that, for a similar reason, the reason of feeling like it didn't move the plot along, in other words, we could have probably done without this episode and the glacial movement that did happen in terms of plotting characters, you could have just incorporated or even inferred in other episodes. And that was the third one, even though it had, (laughs) I know you really liked that Captain's Log thing at the start that Carson had, and I enjoyed writing it. (laughs) By the time I got to the end and I was putting the episodes together. I was like, man, this is funny, but this exposition is so long and disconnected from the rest of the episode and episodes that what the heck? <laughs> you know, if someone said, you know, I've only got time to listen to X number of episodes, or in particular, can I not listen to one episode? I would say, yeah, don't listen to 103, which was 11,236. Well, see, there's, there's one small problem with not listening to 103, and that is you're going to miss Pedro. <laughs> <laughs> That's settled for such blasphemy. That's a really small problem. I, clearly, Pedro is my own creation in this story, and I don't have created the, the monster. I don't have the attachment that the audience has. I won't. I mean, the character isn't going to die, okay? And I will say that no characters die in season two or die in between seasons. <laughs> oh no, death! Damn. Yeah, but I, I do see where you're coming from with 103, but I feel like that around about maybe the halfway point, it starts turning around and picking up, okay, this is where we're going now. Whereas I don't remember having that moment in 112. You know, maybe I'm just, my memory's not as good as it should be on this, but I just don't remember having that here. Okay, hey, this episode is going somewhere now, you know? I guess I liked episode 112 more than 103 because finally there's some turn-based strategy references that sets up who the good players are, the not-so-good players are, and the humor that's involved with that, that it actually starts to make connections to. This is the other part of these people's lives, that there's the geeky stuff that they do for work, and now here's the geeky stuff they do for fun in the midst of all the other schmozzle that is their relationships that evolve and devolve. I I just don't think in those kind of terms, like, what's the worst? I mean, nothing was the Which is why I phrased it as least favorite, because that way you could like all of the episodes. Like, I like the humor in episode 103, but the rest of it, eh, which makes it the least favorite. I don't know. It just, it's a journey. It was a good story, and it, it all adds up in the end, so I can't really say I have a least favorite. To me, saying least favorite of something means like you could take it out and there's not often at least with this story anyways just can't think of anything that i'd rather not be in there so 112 for me i sort of did just want to get to the end then so uh (laughs) so i started fast forwarding through that one i will admit a 104 i think this is vague recollection because i haven't heard it in a while some of the earlier ones didn't have quite as good uh sound effects as the later ones the sound effects kept getting better and better and better throughout the series. I think I got a little confused by what was going on halfway through 104. But other than that, I was generally happy with them. And like all of them, there definitely are some cleverness. And there's some really good voice acting in a bunch of them, too. So generally happy. Okay. Post-production, they were almost all post-produced in the order that they would be presented, with the exception of 102. Mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't remember right now why, but episode 102, I did that first. In terms of post-production, and then went back to 101 and then 103 to 113 after that. And if you're noticing an improvement in the the sound effects in particular, as well as the music, yeah, that's becoming more familiar with the library. And uh, I was also made a very concerted effort to, if you are in the law offices of Gary and Bella, and the door sounds like opening and closing, or even the sound of the floor, so the material of the floor, that it's different. So you know, even kind of subconsciously, you're in a different environment than when you're in the One More Turn Solutions office, that the door opening and closing was different there, as well as the sound of the floor. Maybe that was taking this way to a meta level, I don't know. But I was consciously thinking that when I was putting the episodes together. It was good for a sense of place. It's very clever, Dan. Wait, thank you. I'll give myself a gold star. Sure. Yay. Which one did you guys record first? Can I just interject with that question real quick? It was 102. 102 is the one you recorded first? Yeah, because Gary was was involved and we did all Blower episodes first. Uh, I see. Wow. Well, I'd say I was torn between 
actually the first episode for me, it's kind of a little slow to start with, you know, like I was sort of talking about earlier with understanding and getting your bearings in the story and what's going on. And so the first episode for me was a little bit rough, especially listening for the first time. I was kind of like, uh, I'm not sure how this is going, you know, but obviously things have gotten improved significantly since that first episode, I would say, in terms of just my level of interest in the story. And then, you know, I don't know if I'm remembering exactly right, and I don't want to jump again on what my favorite episode was, <laughs> but the one immediately after my favorite one is probably another one of my least favorite ones, because just as I was sort of really, like, getting in, engaged in the story and actually sort of getting a comprehensive understanding of what's going on in what I will say is my favorite, I'm sort of pulled back a little bit and sort of more confusion comes out in uh, episode 107, I would say. Like, I was really intrigued by, like, this confrontation that's about to happen, and then I'm like, oh, well, maybe it's not going the way I thought it was going. So for me, 107, 10 and 2, that one was difficult for me as well, I would say. The Hudson Carson heart-to-heart followed by Max talking about kissing eyes. It was essentially kind of simultaneously happening to this. Here's Hudson and Carson setting up for what you're going to hear about. In 108. Mm-hmm. Okay, now that you say that, that makes sense. Um, I don't know. I was reading through the scripts, actually, trying to see if there was one that really, like really stood out to me. I think where Max and Nora break that fourth wall, I always love it when somebody breaks the fourth wall. As far as like not liking one, I don't remember that anything like really standing out or I thought, oh, this is so boring or this is not going anywhere or anything like that. Okay. So you're like Scott then, really? Yeah. 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 There were moments that I really liked. Does that make sense? Like, I'm like, oh, that was a great moment or that was a great line or that was really executed well. It's not necessarily one episode that jumps out at me, but moments throughout. Well, I half said it because my least favorite one is 113 because stupid cliffhangers. (laughs) (laughs) So what was everyone's favorite episode from season one? For me, was easily 105, three for three. There was just a really solid amount of back and forth. I mean, it was Gary and Riley, and uh, Gary and Caleb had some in there, uh, Max and Nora. It was, I, I just really felt like it was an episode built for people to just have their zingers, and it was nice. <laughs> it was fun. It was fun to record. Kind of getting back to that, essentially, Gary and Riley constantly insulting each other, but they don't really do it to be malicious, more to just jabs yeah, back and yeah. forth. It really seems like most of the character lines in here. They do push things along, but they're also there just to prove that they're all smart asses. <laughs> did anyone else choose that as a favorite episode? I did not. I guess for me, the last one was my favorite. Oh, I like that, because that comes in direct conflict to what Uber had to say. Go, 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 fight! The episode was my least favorite, because it ended on close. I know, I know. The word choice is important here. So, But th- that was your favorite. Interesting. Why was that your favorite, Scott? Because of that last scene where they're like all coming together and they're seeing Hudson's true colors and Riley's coming to help them and just know there's this coming conflict where they're going to play a game and finally get to the aspect that I want to, you know, <laughs> the video game stuff. I mean, I don't care about law. <laughs> yeah, all we really missed out of the last episode was, you know, Gary with a cigar in his mouth going, I love it when a plan comes together. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, one thing actually I do like about your pick, Scott, is that you. this is where we definitely get to see uh, Max and Nora. Like I said, they're genre savvy, and there is no better proof of it than the last episode. Well, Dan, since you wanted some conflict, my favorite episode was actually 103. What the he- I've changed my mind. Caleb is gone. No. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it's mainly it's just, it's just the way 103 and to an extent 104 worked is establishing Caleb and Carson's entire relationship. And then it was Caleb, Carson, and Riley's first interaction as a trio. You know, I don't know. I enjoyed it because of the way the banter all worked and sort of showing how the two brothers actually are basically the brother's door. (laughs) Yeah, I guess that's fair. I mean, that's pretty much setting up the primary characters of the season, yeah? Yeah. I guess 106 takes two to tango, probably my favorite, because for me, that was where the intrigue kind of gels and you kind of wring your hands together and, oh, I can't wait to see how this conflict is going to sort of play out. And I mean, as you learn, you don't really learn everything about the central conflict at that point. You kind of think you do. You kind of think you know what the score is. But at least at the time, initially going through the story, I find like that's where the intrigue uh, really gets kind of juicy and you're like, you're ready. You're ready uh, to see it play out. 
episode 111. That's the one that has that awesome back and forth with Bella and Caleb, which I thought was really fun to do. And also, I think that's the one where Riley says tubular ice burn or something. Yeah. yeah. Which is epic, guys. <laughs> tubular, I thought. Seriously. It was too funny. And that was the episode where I think if the audience didn't know before this that Caleb was intelligent, now you know because he cuts Gary down to nothing, really. Yeah. Yeah. And he's still, by the end, he does not figure out how Caleb, in particular, and Lee, you talked about favorite moments, and even you as well, Scott, when you were saying you didn't really have a least favorite episode because there were moments that you really liked. And after this back and forth, Gary's like, how did you put this puzzle together for when the longest time you didn't even know what few pieces you had, let alone what they were to form? And Caleb's like, this is Caleb telling you that Caleb, that's me, won't satisfy your curiosity right now. And the beep. Reference all the way back to 102. <laughs> yeah. Gary's voicemail. Exactly. And I tried to do that, that essentially in the second half of the season, I'm making reference back to the first half, so people remember hey, it is the same people writing these episodes, and there are people who are writing and editors that are ensuring that there's some kind of continuity, that there's even a reason for you might be thinking, why the heck would you even have this voicemail? Why would we hear what the voicemail message is? Or why would it have all of these references, and why is Gary being sarcastic? And that was not my intention from the beginning when I wrote that. It was just kind of later on. I was looking back over previous episodes, and I thought, how could I tie this together? And that's my favorite. Mm -hmm. My favorite episode was one that hasn't been mentioned yet. Episode 108, 10 Short Steps. That is because it took the longest time for me to post-produce due to the number and variety of sound effects involved. And this is the one where Carson's driving his car like a madman. Oh, yeah. The sound effects that I got for that, I had so much fun finding that and putting that together. And it was essentially the one time in any way that Hudson is really rattled. And Carson is in control because Carson is so not in control, but he is behind the wheel. And Carson is a really bad driver. I also think that the reason why this episode works so well, not to toot my own horn, but obviously I'm going to, is trying to immerse the audience in the storytelling. And I talked before about different sound effects for the floor and the doors for the different environments. I kind of wanted the environment to be the narrator. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The music was important, don't get me wrong, to help set the tone, but you really don't have a sense of place without the visual. And we, in terms of our senses, right, we were rely a lot, maybe sometimes too much on what we can see. So I'm like, if you take that out completely and it's audio driven, how the heck are people going to know that it's a busy street? I could have the characters say it's a busy street. Yeah, that won't really work. Blah, like whoop de freaking do. But in this case, those audible elements to narrate the environment, that was so much fun, even though that episode probably took me three or four times as long as any other episode. Very satisfied with the ending. I think that there was great lines in all of them. There is uh, definitely something good to like about all of them. The one I'm going to cite, though, is episode 104, simply because that's the first episode where really someone who's just listening to the series with no real background, you can sort of get an idea of what's going on there. By 104, I had some people listen to it, and they were finally able to figure out what was going on and sort of get into the series. Mm. Oh, so these individuals, they'd listen to the first three or some of the first three or no? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, and also with myself, I felt more grounding once I got it to 104. I think that was one of the things I was pushing for as sort of in my editing was to keep adding to like episode one and two, like a few more hints. And I think that you like making it a little more mysterious, which there's definitely a lot to be said about, about sort of both ways for the types of styles. But I really like concrete stuff and 104 really sort of gave me a grounding so I could feel more invested in the camera. And Lee, what is the one wish for your character, Bella, in season two? Hmm, a romantic tryst. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Whoa, that's... Okay, kidding. done. <laughs> I'm kind of just excited to see what happens with Bella through this next season. She's uh, she's definitely thinks she has control of some sort of game. I'm just excited to see like if it goes the way she's expecting or if she's going to get uh, played by Hudson a little bit or where we see her next. Andrew. Well, I guess with season one ending with elements of the real world or conflicts in the real world sort of leaking into the game world of turn-based strategy, 
what I'd like to see would be some conflicts from a virtual world or world such as in a turn-based strategy game actually leak into real life. So I'd kind of like to see almost like a mirror image of the conflict in a way where it starts off maybe with a game and then ends up turning into a real-life conflict. But I don't know if that necessarily is in the cards or not. That's just sort of how I could see it going or one way I could see it going. So what you're saying is you might say want to see uh, somebody start complaining that somebody's playing a little too much ish with the co-op games. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, maybe something <laughs> along those lines. You know, something that starts in the game. Someone, yeah, like you're saying, someone being selfish, maybe someone being careless, maybe doing some other thing in the game that actually reflects the way they act or the way they are in the real world. There is at least an element of that already in the first half of season two. As I said, I got the first draft of uh, the first six episodes already finished. I'd like to have Carson get the comeuppance on uh, someone or just, I don't know, vindicated. (laughs) Yeah, he does kind of need one of those moments, doesn't he? Because Caleb had a couple of those, I think, and and I don't know that Carson ever really had a good, you know, f***-all-ya moment. The law of averages, at least in one instance, will be in Carson's favor in season two. I don't know how significant it'll be, but it'll be there. Uber. Well, since I'm probably not going to get the adventures of Caleb and Pedro, private investigator. <laughs> it's a spin-off. Yeah. That would be the best spinoff ever. <laughs> Especially if Pedro had no speaking lines. Is it? <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. All he is is the wheel man, and he just makes a noise or something random. Um, I don't know. Uh, Caleb doesn't wind up homeless after depressingly binging gambling and losing everything. I- <laughs> I don't really have any high, any real sort of expectations of or desires for what I see. I figure, you know, what happens will happen. Flower. Like I said before, I really, really had a lot of fun forcing uh, Gary because he's, at least I hope people see it this way, he's pretty out of character for me. And it, it was fun to actually portray that, that sneaky, crafty, ruthless bastard. And what I really wanted to see him do is become a little bit more uh, aware, perceptive of what people around him are actually doing. So he can turn that craftiness on somebody who actually has it coming, as opposed to just dumping it on to poor saps because his daughter manipulated him into thinking they had it coming. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, at this point, what he thought he was on top of the game, he turns out he's been one up, so he needs to retake his place. Right, right. And, you know, I recognize that he is a secondary character, not a primary character, but I guess I just would like to see him have an opportunity to show that he is a successful lawyer for a reason. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, I mean, it's nice the way it's all set up at the end. It's they all have to work together to figure out how to overcome all this. And they all wind up needing each other. And so it sets up to do great for all the characters to sort of show their strength next season. Hopefully. This whole time, Gary thought that he was the puppet master. Right. But really, he was just middle management. Right. Yeah, pretty much arrogant enough of a personality where he never expects somebody to pull that on him, especially when he's not aware of it. And he's got that both professionally as well as personally, too, that he kind of sees that as as a boundary, that you don't do that to family. Mm Mm-hmm. Clearly, that message did not get translated to Bella at all. Well, yeah, because <laughs> right. his entire motivation was protect family. Right, exactly. It's like, like, from my read of the script, he recognized that, yeah, Hudson's kind of a bag, but I'm working with him at least as partners, if not in a slightly superior role, because I need a bag to pull this off. Whereas with Bella, it takes him completely out of left field, and I guess what I would like to see is that it's because it was his daughter, and not because he's actually <laughs> kind of an observant <laughs> <laughs> Dark Cloud. Less fourth wall. I know that might be controversial. <laughs> I know people like the fourth wall breaking. It's just a matter of preference. I know. <laughs> well, it, the fourth wall breaking, if it, that goes down a little bit, then we want Max's role as a character to actually come up to balance it out. Yeah, definitely. I think that you were able to establish him as a funny character before we started using him to stomp all over that fourth wall. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Max and Nora played a nice role as sort of the almost sort of a parental guidance for Caleb and Carson to a degree. Yeah, and I viewed Max and Nora as kind of essentially the audience within the story. Yeah, I mean, there are tons of plays which sort of use the same sort of uh, device. So I think that in the sense that Dan wrote it, it was well done. Just a matter of preference that I don't like anything that has fourth wall. It's just, yeah. (laughs) For the purpose of a fourth wall, I think it was well done, though. My one wish for Hudson in season two is that karma catches up to him. And in a way that he at least starts to improve on how he thinks and acts towards others. 
wouldn't wish for him to now be 180 degrees, but to have some kind of character growth that he has actually learned something. And I'd also like to see if I can work it in a believable way that essentially someone plays him Mm. just as well or even more. So then he knows what it's like. Kind of like the lesson Gary learned with what Bella did to him. Hudson needs to have that happen to him only on a much bigger scale because of not only what Hudson has done, but because Hudson's that bigger of a scale of a shitster compared to the other characters. I really hope that we can maintain this audience and, and that they keep having fun with it. At least have as much fun listening to it as I did participating in recording it and working with you guys. Also, I hope that they don't murder us for not being professional-grade voice actors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're not being professional writers either for those of us involved in the writing <laughs> and the editing. Overall, I guess I'd just like to say that everybody did a great job. Danny did a great job writing it, and all the people who performed did fantastic for a lot of people doing it for the first time. See it as a big success and wish you guys all the luck in the future to keep it going. I think it's worthwhile mentioning that, unfortunately, uh, Andrew is not going to be editing uh, an editor on the next season yeah. due to uh, real life. As far as last thoughts, I'd like to say thank you to Dan for his creativity in creating the special. Thank you also to Dan for his patience in uh, dealing with everything and uh, his uh, openness to suggestions and his industriousness in uh, using all of the uh, sound. And then finally, I'd like to thank everyone else in uh, the recording session was extremely uh, entertaining and I was very happy to be a part of it. And I'm glad that I decided to uh, take uh, Dan up on his offer to participate. Thank you. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is fun. I'm enjoying doing it. This is the first sort of this type of thing I've ever been involved in. So it's fun. Thanks for getting me involved and glad to be heading on to season two. I appreciate, and Dark Cloud talked about patience. Everybody else's patience with me as we sorted through some of the uh, scripts. Final word, I hope that our audience continues to grow. I know there's an audience out there. I see the download numbers, and I know we all probably do these things multiple times, but I just don't think practically the numbers I see means that's just us. So uh, hopefully we get some more people to listen. I think there's something here for everyone. It's for geeks and non-geeks alike. It's for the geeks and the people who put up with geeks. (laughs) Hooray! Yay! (laughs) Thanks to our audience. Good luck and good night. Music by Kevin McLeod. Visit the official One More Turn website at onemoreturn.net. Copyright Civilized Communication at civcom.net. One more turn.